0: welcome to future insiders a podcast about the future of tech business and humanity this week your host kathy hackle discusses how to incentivize curiosity with the strategic sustainable futurist nancy giordano let's go ahead and get started here's your host kathy hackle I am joined by Nancy Giordano, strategic futurist, and one of the most interesting people I've met in the strategic foresight, futurism world. Um, So Nancy, thanks for being here. Thanks. That's quite a compliment. Oh, ah, thank you. <laughs> so let's tell folks a little bit about what you're doing. Um, and we're going to be talking today, by the way, about some of the work Nancy's done and also some of the things that are coming up uh, in the next couple of days um, that we're really excited about. But Nancy, tell folks a little bit about who you are and what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think, again, to your point, I just describe it as a strategic futurist, but it's about helping people, audiences, organizations, uh, companies build a more sustainable and relevant um path forward one that generates long-term value as opposed to just being focused on all, on growth so there's really a paradigm shift i think it's happening in business and i help people better prepare for that
0: that's amazing and you're based out of austin right
1: i am yes
0: yeah which is you know a great town i think for tech and and for futures to be honest what are your thoughts on that
1: well, you know, again, I'm a strategist, right? So when I decided to leave Los Angeles, there was a lot of reasons why I wanted to leave LA. My kids were young and the schools weren't quite holding up and the traffic was getting worse, whatever. So I made a list, right? Four cities across the top, nine criteria along the left-hand side and really tried to winnow it down. And, and Austin really was the place that made sense for us 12 or 13 years ago, um, as I did think about the city of the future and where it is that I wanted to be so the population is young, which is exciting. It is a tech hub and it's become increasingly so. It also has a world class university, as you know.
0: I went um, there. Yeah, go horns. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
1: That'll uh, be my longhorns. <laughs> um, but not only is it because it's a great school, but it really does, you know, then churn out this incredible workforce that just mm-hmm. that wants to stay in Austin because the lifestyle is so wonderful here. Uh, but it also has a really open culture. So when you think about whether it's government or entrepreneurism or any of the things that kind of drive Austin, it's really about building networks of connection and support. Mm-hmm. And so, unlike LA or New York or other cities I've been in, there's really drive to want to connect with one another here, and a lot of infrastructure for that, so it just felt like a really welcoming place to be.
0: Yeah, I feel like Austin's in my future, like I'll return someday. I feel like that's going to happen. I I felt the same thing about Atlanta, and I did go back, uh, you know, (laughs) and live back there for about a year and a half before coming to to the DC area, but I do feel that Austin's in my future at some point. So we'll see, you know, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's <laughs> funny because
1: I grew up in Atlanta. So to me, Atlanta is, this really, I mean, Austin's this really interesting like view of what Atlanta was when I was growing up mm-hmm. in the seventies and eighties. Uh, so it's a big, small town still, right? We don't have a big major sports team. We don't have big, huge high rise buildings that are you know, with big, huge logos on them um, the way that you see in other cities. So there's something really interesting about sort of this new economy city that Austin mm-hmm. is. Uh, so yeah, yeah come back come back We come like back <laughs> fascinating people here well tell, I wanted
0: to chat a little bit about your new book because I'm I'm really excited about it and I know that you know that it's yeah I, I, you know I know that it's going to be a, a great addition for a lot of people out there especially in management thinking and leadership and thinking through you know how to be a leader in, in the future so maybe tell folks a little bit about the book
1: well, you know, in some ways I'm the front end of the work that you do, right? I'm trying to prepare people better for the work that you do because, you know, I'm such a huge fan of yours. And when you meet the other technologists and designers and entrepreneurs and scientists and engineers who are building the future and you ask them how far along we are, it's like really, really early days. You know, I would say it's like 1%. Um, so if you imagine that we have this opportunity to go build what the future will be, and we get to reimagine, rethink and rescope every institution and every um, practice, even of what it is that we do, we realize that we really have an outdated mindset that is trying to build the future. And it's just not working, right? We're seeing a lot of breakdowns around that both in the societal perspective, but also even um, individually, we're just feeling like we're not keeping up. And so what does it take to upgrade our way of um, approaching this? And so the book is called Leadering. It's the ways visionary leaders play bigger. It's filled with stories and anecdotes and statistics and case studies of how people have shifted their thinking. Because one of my thesis is not just what we know, it's how we think. And if we can't change how we think we won't be able to Uh, really contribute as much as we can to this future that's um, like rushing toward us. And so I want people to be in a better mindset to be able to take it on and not be so afraid. You know, we keep talking about the hurdles to change. And part of it is understanding, you know, the complexities of it, but part of it is just fear. And so I think if we can help people learn to shift away from having a well-worn map that they're so used to, right, the playbook about how we do things, and instead learning to uh, orient with a compass and a north star, you can actually hit new terrain without feeling so frightened and feeling so overwhelmed. You know, once you have a capacity that allows you to take in new and then manage ambiguity and uncertainty and complexity in ways that you can find the value in that and to find the promise in that find the opportunity in that, right? Find the solution in that, uh, then I think we've got a much better shot at being able then to advance things with the technologies that you advocate for um, and with a, a sense of caring in which people are well held in those technologies.
0: Yeah, it's definitely very much aligned to, from the VR, AR perspective, we're changing the way people view the world. You know, instead of a right. flat surface, we want them to see volume and dimension. Um, so it is shifting that way of thinking, right? Of really, in, in, you know, in our industry, thinking outside the screen and thinking outside the literal box.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, I think it's a really interesting analogy, right? I think the volumetric thinking, right, is is a really interesting way of, pers- of offering that perspective. And I think that that's what overwhelms people as it becomes that much more, you know, immersive, if you will. Uh, they feel surrounded by it and they don't know what to do with it and so I think what we're saying is that if you develop a set of practices instead of keep going back to the old playbook then you actually have, are very competent being able to move through this and we're seeing again the research bear it out the companies and leaders who are embracing this are zooming far ahead of no pun intended uh, those who are uh, taking you know really don't even believe that it's real yet or are waiting for proof that this is worth jumping into or not even learning versus you know, experimenting never mind actually making it a central part of their business strategy so uh, that gap is growing, uh, both in profitability and in longevity. And so, what we're trying to do is close that gap. How do we help everyone um, feel more prepared and thus able to contribute more? The yeah. so my perspective is all hands on deck. Right? If we're going to go through and really reinvent everything from education to finance to food, which is seeing the biggest revolution since refrigerated rail cars, to you know manufacturing to education to everything, um, we have to. Uh, we all have to be in the game, and we all have to be prepared to be in it because one of the biggest drags I'm hearing a lot of is the resistance, right? And the toll that it's taking on those who are trying to build the future to constantly be trying to move everybody else along and to reassure them that we're in safe territory. And so if we can reduce some of that resistance, we get to redeploy that energy toward solutions.
0: You know, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was talking to a a futurist friend and um, that person has been a futurist in residence before. Uh, and that person told me that, you know, it's, it's been great, but sometimes it doesn't work out, but because they are viewed maybe as too edgy or fringy. And I'm like, no, that's what you want. If you have a futurist in residence, you should want them to be that, you know, doing your research in your book. Maybe can you share any interesting stories that might be related to that or, or that might be the juxtaposition to that?
1: Well, I think that this is a way of helping people become more comfortable with that way of thinking. So the book is really designed to, oh, again, offer the capacities and wonder is a big part of it, curiosity and incentivizing curiosity in our, in our organizations, not just putting the, the burden, quote unquote, of curiosity on the individual, because like, this goes back to organizational structures that are either supporting the work that we want to do or, or you know, stunting it or getting in the way of it. Uh, so we often ask people to be curious, but then we often put in practices that don't reward them for doing that. Uh, and whether that's social incentives, meaning that who gets, you know, recognized in a meeting or who gets a plum assignment or, you know, whatever, or if it's actual financial incentives, but it's really looking at that and understanding how do you build an organization that is curious and that is open and that wants to learn and wants to experiment because then those people don't seem so threatening that come in with new ideas. Then we have got a way of being able to channel it. And we know how to start putting that into action. When you don't have an organization that has any of that capacity and those people seem very threatening. This has actually literally been the conversation of the week because it's come at me five different ways, um, including a very personal one with one of my boys who uh, is that person on a team and has been struggling with his own experience with it. And so I've been you know, thinking a lot about it and talking to so many people about it. And there is this interesting tension between um, the enthusiasm that we have and this vision that we have and this excitement that we have and this impatience that we have. When you talk to company leaders, I was talking to a good friend of mine who's a CEO and I was asking him how he handles, you know, the rebels and the Mavericks and the change makers in his organization. And he took kind of a a sigh, a deep breath. And he's like, you know, we love all that energy. He goes, but we also find often that they're arrogant and they're condescending and they are really impatient and that gets in the way. And so I do think that there's um, some sort of cultural training that needs to be done both directions, right? I can open up organizational capacity, but I think we also have to have empathy and compassion for the way that these folks have been raised thus far and that they, you know, again, the incentive structures don't always support that they take a risk.
0: Well, and I think that your book is very timely in in a sense because you've got Gen Z going into the workforce. I mean, and they're going to change the way companies recruit, the way companies retain the way they do, the way companies do a lot of things. And a lot of them are these curious, you know, thinkers, these futuristic thinkers just because of who they are. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think it's very timely.
1: It's an interesting thing because when you look at Gen Z, I see two things that are kind of a paradox, right? On the one hand, yes, they're so familiar with the technologies that it comes second nature to them. And certainly after this pandemic, they've become so much more fluid in where and how they work that the idea of going into a rigid structure and having to sort of show up in a certain way just because it was an industrial revolution, you know, invention does not in any way make sense to them. Um, But we also are seeing that there is a sort of a hunger for security they have been also taught, unfortunately, around really tight rubrics and that there's a right way to do things. So even breaking their thinking sometimes is challenging because they have been rewarded, you know, for Mm -hmm. years about doing it the right way. And I think that we've bred out a lot of creativity in uh, a lot of curiosity in our kids. And so when anyone's got young ones, you know, know, you've heard me say this before in conversations with you, it's so much about stimulating that sense of curiosity and wonder and helping them um, recognize how unique it is, right? How important Mm -hmm. it is and uh, ensure that they have a place to do it. So then, you know, those kids, I I think it's the Gen Zs I'm actually It'll be interesting to see how they do. It's the, you know, the, the young Gen Zs are the ones that come after them who are going to really hopefully be primed uh, to blow things up <laughs> that are going to go in. And But you know what, in fairness, Gen X was like that too. You know, Gen X had uh, grown up as a latchkey kid generation with a lot of creativity and a lot of, you know, invention. And they went into these organizations and were like, what? And so a lot of the technology inspiration has come from Gen X.
0: So I think that's so interesting because I recently had a, a coaching call with Cindy Gallup. Oh, uh, I love Cindy. She's Cindy's amazing. amazing. She, you know, she, her whole th- timeline is like she's the Michael Bay of business. She <laughs> likes to push it up, yes, and it um, and the way she thinks, I'm like, it's like she was born way. You know, she should be a Gen Z, Gen Alpha uh, kind of almost. Totally. Um, she's brilliant. I mean, brilliant, and and yeah, I mean, to your point, I think it's gonna be quite interesting to watch these Gen Zs and Gen Alphas and. And kind of how they're going to impact um, the market. I, I wish they could hear, you know, Cindy, uh, you know, maybe, in,
1: you know, more on a PG level, but
0: <laughs> right. Um, well, you today. know,
1: yeah, yes, I yeah. totally agree. Um, you know, she's just, she's fearless. And what I love about her is that she's always been one who has been willing to call out the, the stereotype or the construct that no longer makes sense. And so uh, she's been a great, you know, role model for many of us. And, uh, but I think they're all around, Now that's just it, right? It's not just young mm-hmm. people. It is across all generations and all ages. There are people who've gone in and said, this doesn't make sense. And frankly, you know, it's interesting about Cindy, she's a woman. And so we're seeing not just generationally, but you're also seeing gender wise. I think people going in and saying, wait a second, this just doesn't make sense. And I think the awakening that we're all having right now around the she session and around the pressure that's around working parents and thinking about how to create more humane structures inside our offices, which again, were designed in the era of madmen, you know, who... Mm-hmm. um framed it not in the way that modern families work and modern life works uh, I think it's really exciting. So I think there's a, there's so much change coming in. I was having a conversation with someone earlier today. The thing that we need to be prepared for is the incumbent system is going to fight tooth and nail to hold on to what yeah. is currently here. And so it should not be surprising that we see so much of the tension that we see or so much of the, um, you know, either fear or confusion or, you know, uh, intentional misdirection. You know, that renewable energy is really mm-hmm. scary and bad. I'm like, really? I don't think so um but if you're you know an incumbent fossil fuel business you would want me to believe that so i think that uh we're in for a a bumpy ride as we make this transition from here to there but if we can manage it with our eyes open we know technology that help us root out misinformation uh, have compassion for the people who are uh, feeling the sense of uh, being lost in that transition then i think we'll have a better shot at being able to get to the other side faster.
0: I love that. And, you know, I really want to applaud you also for the work you've been doing to promote female futurists. Um, I know that that's one of the reasons that you and I connected initially. Um, So maybe tell folks a little bit about that, uh, you know, but that whole series you did and learnings right from from that whole experience.
1: Yeah, you know, and I am I'm so grateful that we, you know, launched into that right as the pandemic hit, because it uh, certainly kept me buoyed doing this when you get to hear these conversations over and over again with the leading futurists around the world that are women. Uh, Because there's a real interesting thing that we all have very much at our core, this idea of human-centric design and making sure that we hold both humans and society well, no matter where the work is, whether it's around governance, whether it's around, you know, special computing, whether it's around organizational design and capacity, like we all have our own area of influence, but there's a real interesting thing that we all share at the center. Um, But it was really designed because I I was frustrated hearing conversations around innovation that never quoted women. Right, even look at Madam CJ Walker, like she was a badass, right? And nobody knows her name. She was the first millionaire woman in the country and um, because she sold black hair care products to her peers. And how do we not tell her story? So partly I was frustrated that we always go back to um, old stories that aren't useful or they're outdated or just not complete. But more importantly, the people who are building the future right now are still also dominated by men, and the people who are funded are men, and the people who are going to reap the rewards of these technologies are men. Women are not enough in the conversation. So at one point, someone threw out a statistic that in cybersecurity it was like less than 8% were women. This was a few years ago, so maybe it's gone up a little bit, but I would argue it's probably still less than 10%. In robotics, I think it's somewhere around 18 to 20%. And you know, if you look in AI, it's not very high. If you look at comp sci, it's not very high. So the technologies and the industries that are going to live literally been building our future, are not including enough women in them for lots of different reasons. And so there's a big systemic you know, um, opportunity to do this better, but I figured if nothing else, at least let's you know, include a place for women to have um, more visibility in the conversation right? When people are trying to find someone to have our conference or trying to imagine someone could be part of their team, or if they want to have some insight from a really, you know, thoughtful person, we want there to be a place where you could find them. So Femme Futurist Society is that. We have a list of, a you know, zillion, more than 50 female futurists who are working around the world. We've done interview, interviews with about 20 so far, and we will continue to do more. Um, and we'll continue to grow that network and make the content a little easier and more accessible for folks. But uh, it is a really inspiring group of people, and actually, I was—I was, I was just—I was saying this to a couple of people. I was listening to a podcast this weekend that had two or three brilliant men. It had um, Yuval Noah Harari, you know, who's written *Sapiens* and *Homodeus*.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan. <laughs> lessons,
1: right? And Tristan Harris, who was—or Tristan Harris, who ethicist from Google, who is in the social dilemma, and has started the Center for Humane Technologies, and his partner Ezra. Um, uh, They were great, it was so great, but I was like missing a feminine perspective in that conversation. Like it still felt um, like it was coming, it was missing something. And it wasn't because they're not brilliant and they're not great. And I would argue if you had all conversations with only women, we'd probably be missing something too. So I just think the more diverse that we can have these conversations, um, the the better and richer the thinking, especially when you're talking about it on such a deep, huge level. I mean, they're talking about the future of society and humanity. You know, like you know, where's the the big thinking woman that should also be part of that?
0: I don't know. I'm actually, it's really interesting because I think over the last year and a half, two years, I've been very uh, sensitive to that. Like I pay attention a lot more to who's on a panel or yeah. who's being interviewed in an article. I even I will even go through an article and be like. Wow, they really missed having the opportunity of having like a female. Oh, for sure. And then even also
1: understanding like how it's ranked because even when I, you know, I mean, we have four people who have uh, offered advanced praise for the book and two are women and two are men. And when we looked at the back cover of the book, the two men were on top and the two women were on the bottom. And I was like, ooh, do I like that? Like it was such a subtle, simple Mm -hmm. thing, but there was a part of me that felt like I wanted to mix it up more. Right. And so on, or, or we like attribute like the hard hitting quote to the man and then sort of the soft relational quote to the woman even if she's, you know, a hardcore physicist. Um, because her orientation sometimes is more to that, but it doesn't mean that she's not thinking the hardcore thing. So there's so many like subliminal biases that we need to um, address, but let's just go for the big ones first. Let's at let's, least get the women on the panel, right? Let's get the women as the keynote speaker. Let's get them on the mm-hmm. board. Let's get them in the team. Let's get them in the room. Uh, it just is, it's, it's the only way, I don't know how you feel, but you know, I, I feel pretty strongly the only way we're going to avoid a bias, really significant bias with artificial intelligence and any of these technologies is by having a more diverse team, which is absolutely- yeah. Includes women. It includes people from different races, different backgrounds, uh, different geographies. It's The only way you can root it out.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think it's incredibly important. And um, you know, I, I I work in tech. I've been I've, I've been working in tech for the past six years, and that does come with its challenges. Being you know a woman in tech, being a Latina in tech, like there are you know I I don't I can't complain because it's been you know I've had a lot of great great success but it does come with some challenges. I I feel like maybe some of my male peers got to where I am now a lot faster because then they were men maybe. So, so yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting to watch that, you know, from my perspective, from the tech world, you know, AR, VR is a little bit different, I think, than the rest of tech, but it's been, you know. Yeah, I was,
1: you know, fascinating early on as I was uh, building a conference around all this, what we found is that in VR, it was actually much more female, a deeper penetration of, of women in that Field than there were in others. We were trying to figure out why, and I don't know what your theory is on it, but at the time, one of the things we discussed is that, you know, VR, particularly in storytelling, has these open-ended possibilities, right? We don't have it as a finite, discrete world that you get to choose. And women are much more comfortable in that kind of open-ended storytelling. Um, At one point, Steven Spielberg, years ago, he's come around, but was like, you know, VR was like the worst thing ever for storytelling because he couldn't control the story. And I don't think women are working as hard to try and control the story. They're making it more open. So that was just sort of one theory. But again, I'm not trying to throw the blanket on all women think this way and all men think that way. I just think the more that we have the blended brains, uh, just the more interesting and and I think, again, safer, the solution that we create and certainly more successful. Again, all the research bears out that the, the companies that have... Yeah, more diverse teams and more diverse boards are also more profitable.
0: Awesome. So we're getting to the uh, end of our time together. So I do want to ask you a question. I ask all my guests is what is something, it could be a technology, it could be a piece of news, it could be anything that you've seen lately that's made you excited about the future?
1: You know, I mean, I'm, I guess I sort of live in the excitement of the future I think it's that 1% statistic, the fact that we're so early we get a chance to go and reinvent it all and address the breakdowns that have dragged us down as a society and uh, find more humane ways to correct for them is super exciting keeps me very motivated. I'm, I, I want to be part of building that I think we're alive at an, an incredible time.
0: It's definitely an exciting time. Um, and I want folks to also, if you know they're listening to this and they wanna learn more about your book or connect with you, where can they find your book and where can they connect with you?
1: Thank you. Uh, so we have a website, leadering.us. So you can go and find more information there. You can find me on LinkedIn. And again, the title is Leadering the Ways Visionary Leaders Play Bigger. And we're continuing having conversations with leaders so that we can dimensionalize these ideas more and more. So we'll go there. We'll keep adding content. And you'll be excited to know there's a QR code on the back of the book that offers a VR experience. So sorry, an AR experience with your phone.
0: Absolutely love that. (laughs) Yay, that's great. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it's, it's awesome. So thank you so much for being
1: on Future Insiders. Thank you so much, Kathy. I love talking to you every time.
0: Thank you for listening to Future Insiders. I hope you'll join Kathy for more interviews about the future. And don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend about the podcast.